Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. It's been good to see you this evening. Thank you for coming. And uh, it's nice to be down with you in Ballyhalbert. This is, uh, this is my first time in Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall, so thank you for the invitation and it's nice to be with you. Um, I wonder this evening how you are with introductions. How, uh, how do you introduce yourself to someone? When was the last time someone introduced themselves to you? What sort of things do you say? Maybe applying for a new job, and you fill in a job application, you send through your CV, so you explain who you are, um, maybe talk about your achievements, things you've done in the past, responsibilities you have, um, or maybe you're introducing yourself to um, someone new in work, or maybe um, a new family has moved into your street. How do you how do you introduce yourself? How do other people introduce themselves to you? Well, some of the things we talk about are our family. What's our family connections? Who we are? Sometimes we talk about our job, the things we do, responsibilities we have. Maybe we talk about. Um, our education, grades we've achieved. Sometimes some of us would talk about our faith, things that we believe in. Maybe our interests, our hobbies, things we're up to now, current roles in our lives, things we say to introduce ourselves to each other. And some of you will be on social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they give you a short 150 characters to introduce yourself, to explain to a wider audience who you are, your personal profile as an introduction. So 125 million views, million followers on Twitter is Barack Obama. How does he introduce himself? What's his personal profile? He says, Dad, husband, president, citizen, obamabook.com. That's his introduction to the world. What about Pele, the great Brazilian footballer? He says, Brazilian, number 10, three times World Cup champion, leading goal scorer of all time, FIFA football player of the century, global ambassador, and humanitarian, his personal profile, his introduction. And this evening, I'd like to direct you to the personal profile of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to direct you to Hebrews chapter 1. So if you have, have a copy of, of God's Word, let's look that up together. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to read the first four verses. This is the personal profile of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read this this evening, let's be introduced again to him. Let's be introduced again to who Jesus is, to what he has done, to where he is now. So let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Who he is, what he has done, where he is now. We find this profile of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's at the start of a letter which was originally written to a young church in Jerusalem. This was around AD 70. And in this group, there were some people who were beginning to ask the question, am I fully convinced about who the Lord Jesus is? Does he deserve my full attention? Is he the priority in my life? Is following the Lord Jesus Christ really worth it? And they were asking that question because following the Lord Jesus in their day had a cost. And following the Lord Jesus in our day still has a cost. The Lord Jesus himself taught that. He said to those that listened to him as the crowds followed him, his words were, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And these people, these Hebrews, the cost of following the Lord Jesus was as real as Monday morning. It meant walking away from their national tradition, their heritage. It meant leaving the temple, the place where they would have always associated with worshiping God. The glory, the beauty of the building, the smells, the bells, the priests, the festivals. This was as basic to their identity as Christmas is to you and me. It was part of their national DNA. It meant walking away from the synagogue to worship in houses, places that were much more unimpressive. There was no high priest. There was no visible sacrifice anymore. It was all invisible. It meant the loss of their Jewish community, shunned by friends and family, excommunicated from the Jewish system. Imagine them walking into a shop and seeing a friend and their friend turning their back on them and walking away, ignoring them. This was a huge cost. Their place in their family was under threat. They were seen as betraying the Jewish tradition turning their back on the way their parents had brought them up. Everything that they had held dear. They would have been excluded from their family, maybe not welcome for Sunday dinner anymore, not invited for Christmas, not there for the New Year's party. To them, following the Lord Jesus had a significant cost. Their employment would have been affected, maybe they would have lost their job. How would they provide for their family? Walked out of the, of the company business. And very quickly, you can see them thinking to themselves, asking the question, is it worth it? 
Is following the Lord Jesus really worth it? And for us here and now, our, our circumstances are a lot different, aren't they? But the questions, the questions are the same. In our world today, our culture, this generation, we live in a world that is opposed to the gospel, that is against the Bible, that what it stands for, rejecting the gospel. Maybe the question that you've never positively answered is, are you fully convinced in the Lord Jesus? Do you appreciate that he deserves your full attention? When you weigh everything up, is he the priority in your life? Is Jesus Christ worth your full commitment? Or maybe for you, your answer to those questions has recently changed. The past year and a bit has been tough on us all when our rhythms and routines have changed. And it's been scary to see how easily it is to, to back off in our faith, to ease off in our commitment, to take a step back from Christ. Our habits change. Maybe we stop reading the Bible as often as we did, come a bit more relaxed in our times of prayer, less intentional about coming to church, and slowly, gradually, we, we fade away, falling by degrees. This, this was a sort of group of people to whom this introduction, to whom this profile of the Lord Jesus is written to. In the second chapter of Hebrews, the writer says, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The idea is like a ship that slips its anchor, that slowly without knowing, heads off course, drifts away from where it intended to be. And sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we can, we can end up somewhere where we never intended. Our heart can get cold, our commitment's not as strong as it used to be. And suddenly we realize that our life priorities have changed. Here the Holy Spirit inspires this writer, wants to address this question in the life of these Hebrews, and wants to address it in our lives today. Is Jesus Christ really worth it? And he has a lot of things to say to them. This is a very long letter. It's a very deep letter. But some of the things he has to tell them are very tough to hear as well. But it is significant that he begins by introducing them again to who the Lord Jesus is. He doesn't start by telling them the things they're not doing, by telling them the things that they could do better. No, he begins by laying out to them, by giving them this profile, this introduction of who Jesus Christ is. And let's look at it together. Look at who, who he introduces them to. Look at verse 1. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son here we see that god is a god who speaks he's a great communicator god has a message for this world and it's a message that he has communicated right back at the very start at the very beginning we hear we hear god speak we hear his words and god said let there be light and there was light. God is a God who speaks, speaks in power of creation. 
the universe and everything in it becomes into being the moment he speaks. Space, time, matter, life, everything becomes through his word. God is a God who speaks. But he hasn't just spoken as a one-off. He hasn't just spoken way back at the start and never spoken again. God is a God who speaks. He, he spoke, he has spoken, he has spoken again. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Generation after generation, time after time, God reaches out. He, he speaks again. How lovely is it that, that God did not let the conversation die. Even though this world and many of us in the world do not want to hear that message. Do not want to hear what he have to, has to say, have rejected him. Yet he speaks. He speaks and he speaks again. God is a God who has not let the conversation end. And here the writer begins this profile of the Lord Jesus by saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is God's final spokesman to this world. And he does this by giving us three comparisons. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He, he compares how God spoke in the past to how he speaks now. First of all, in the time of his speaking, look, he says, in, in the past... God spoke, but in these last days. You see the difference from the time, right from the very start, when God spoke to Eve about how he would, through, through her offspring, bring redemption, promise after promise, picture after picture, prophecy after prophecy, that one day the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come. In John chapter 1, we read the story about Philip. He comes to his friend Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, we have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom all the prophets also wrote. The one who had been promised. The pictures, the shadows, the glimpses that have been talked about from the Garden of Eden. We have found him. He has come. In these past times, God was speaking in the form of promises. But now, at the end of these days, he spoke together in a higher level. You hear God's voice change gear here. Here it rise. The idea here is one of climax. This is God's final word. It's the idea of climbing to the summit of a mountain. And in the Old Testament, they were climbing the hill, climbing the mountain, but there was always higher to go. Now in these last days, God, God has spoken. This is the climax. This is the peak, the pinnacle. This is the summit. This is the greatest revelation. God's spokesman, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has now arrived. But secondly, look, in the way, look at about the way he speaks. God's spoken many times in various ways, but he has spoken to us by his son. In the past, there was... There was never one single occasion when, when God revealed everything he had to say. Or there was never to one single person the story totally given. In the past, he spoke in fragments, in pieces. Like Abraham, God had great things to say to Abraham. Wonderful promises, great revelations. But he, he didn't tell Abraham everything. Moses, Moses saw so much, but he didn't see everything. Isaiah, David, all the way through, they, 
they had fragments, bits, pieces of the jigsaw, but there were bits missing. How frustrating is it when you're putting together and you're building a jigsaw and there's bits missing? You can't get the whole picture. There's, there's wee bits missing out. That's what it was like to these Old Testament prophets. They, they had fragments, but never the full story. Here, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that in Jesus Christ, the story is complete. He is the full, the final revelation of God's message. In Jesus Christ, God says everything that he has to say. This is his last word, his final word, his greatest word. Nothing more needs to be said after it. But look thirdly, in the status, God spoke through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his son. See the two different categories, the prophets and the son. The prophets, they were a a well-respected group. They were God's appointed servants, people who God commissioned and inspired to deliver his message to the world. Second Peter tells us that the prophets, they, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But the Lord Jesus is different. He, he belongs to a different category. The prophets were inspired men, but, but that's all they were. They were only men at best. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, is more than a man. His relationship with God is unique. God has spoken to us through someone greater. Look what he says. He has spoken to us by his son. Is there anyone dearer than that? Anyone closer? God's final spokesman, who is it? It is his son. And that's significant because if we're introducing ourselves or being introduced to someone else, often we talk about our, our family connections who we're related to. That's how we identify ourselves. Uh, I am a son of, or I am a sibling of, I am a parent of. I am a relative of this person. That, that qualifies us to our audience. The personal profile of the Lord Jesus here, we, we learn that he's not only God's final spokesman, but he's God's only son. The one who is related to God as a son and that qualifies the Lord Jesus. That raises the bar, doesn't it? Raises the level. Can anyone else make that claim? Who else is God's son? This makes him unique. John tells us that he was the one who dwelt in the bosom of the Father from the foundation of the world. God's final spokesman, God's only son. But he goes on here, look at what he says. The one who God has appointed to be the heir of all things. Now we often measure the importance of someone we meet by by what they own. What is their estate? How much are they worth? A couple of years ago we visited uh, Ballywalter Park just up the road here and were introduced to Lord and Lady Dunleith. And being there was really impressive looking around the, the mansion house hearing about how it was one of the biggest dairy farms in Northern Ireland seeing some of the 1,200 acres of the estate. But being there, being with them, being in their presence, you you suddenly began to realize that this belongs to them. This is is their estate. Here in Hebrews, we are introduced 
to the Lord Jesus Christ, the heir of everything, of all things. It all belongs to him from the galaxies that we haven't even discovered to the smallest blade of grass in your back garden. It all belongs to him. It's for him. How amazing is it when you look up in the evening at the night sky and you see the stars? One billion galaxies, we're told. And we're in the middle of them in the Milky Way. And in our little solar system, we have our sun and the planets. The sun is 93 million miles away from Earth. Now, compare that. If you, sh- if you shrink our solar system down to a one-foot ruler, one-foot ruler, it would fit into the size of the Pacific Ocean. That's the scale of the universe we live in. That our solar system, a one-foot ruler, in the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. What is it all for? Who is it all for? It's for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the heir of all things. It all belongs to him. Everything finds its ultimate meaning and significance in him. It was made for him. But look, look how this profile goes on. It was made for him, but it was also made by him. Through whom also he created the world. He is a source of it all. The designer, the builder. Isaac Newton, at the end of his life, that great scientist, he, he, was, he was coming to the end of his life, his last days, and many of his colleagues were coming to see him, to thank him for his amazing discoveries, congratulate him on his achievements. And he, as he listened to their praise, listened to their, to their remarks, their honors, he said, all my life I felt like a little boy gathering stones at the shore of a boundless ocean. Sometimes it just blows your mind. The Lord Jesus Christ, he made it all. You look up at the sun, this ball of fire, 864,000 miles wide, flames like a massive nuclear reaction, burns 500 million tons of hydrogen a second. 500 million tons of hydrogen a second. When there's enough hydrogen left to burn for another 4 billion years. Where did it all come from? Who made the sun? The Lord Jesus Christ made it. Through whom also he created the world. This is the profile of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who he is. And you can see the readers of this letter, the first audience to hear this, to read this, as they're introduced again to who the Lord Jesus is, they maybe sit up in their seats, beginning to be convinced again of who Jesus is. He deserves my full attention. Maybe he is worth more than my part commitment. What about you? What about us as we listen to this, as we read this again this evening? Will you follow him? Who else will you follow instead? Look at verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God 
the exact imprint of his nature. Notice the present tense here, he is. These are not things that Christ was or Christ will in the future be. These are things that he has ever been. He is, he will be, he will always be the radiance of God's glory. What does God look like? The Bible tells us that no one has ever seen God. Moses, when he entered God's presence, he had to turn his face and hide into a groove in the rock as God passed by. Moses wasn't even allowed to see God. John says, the Apostle John, who, who was with the Lord Jesus on earth, listen to his words in John 1, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John says, we, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, the one who is full of grace and full of truth. John says, I saw him. I saw those eyes filled with tears as he, as he looked over Jerusalem. I heard him as he spoke with a voice that roared into the grave and released Lazarus. I felt his heart move as he saw the crowds, as he was moved with compassion. What does God look like? He looks like Jesus Christ. God would have, could have sent no one clearer to this world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And the idea here is not like a reflection of a mirror that when we look in it shows us what we look like, like something that reflects light or reflects an image. The idea here is something who shines from inside. This is, this is inward. He shines out himself, his nature, with the glory of God. How bright does he shine? So you decide to change a light bulb in your house. What do you go for? Do you go for a 40 watt, 60 watt, 100 watt? Go for a halogen bulb? How bright does he shine? The brightness of the glory of God. There is no brighter. Jesus Christ is not like God, he, he is God. He, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. And the idea here, the picture is like you have some Play-Doh plasticine and you get a hammer and you press it in to the Play-Doh or plasticine. You get an exact imprint of the hammer. He that has seen me, he said, has seen the Father. Is there anyone clear? But he goes on, look at he says in verse 3, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Often we introduce ourselves to other people by explaining our responsibilities, maybe our responsibilities to our family, people we provide for, people we care for. Maybe we might talk about the responsibilities we have in our jobs, things we look after, things we've been employed by someone to keep going. I work as a, as a pharmacist. And I'm paid by my employer to safely dispense prescriptions, to do that efficiently within a, a legal framework. That's my responsibility. Here in this personal profile, the Lord Jesus Christ is introduced as the one who is responsible for maintaining the universe. 
Can you imagine that weight? Is there anyone stronger? Anyone else who could carry that responsibility? Why is there, why is there something and not nothing? Well, we see that because of Jesus Christ. Why is there still something and not nothing? Because of Jesus Christ. He is the conductor in the orchestra, the one coordinating, pulling together all the parts. And the idea here is he's carrying the universe, maintaining it, bringing it to his destiny, upholding it by the word of his power. The way you were singing about that earlier, you're the word of God the Father. From before the world began, every star and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. All creation holds together by the power of your word. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. How important is it that we recognize again this evening who the Lord Jesus is? Like we live in a world that constantly tries to distract us away from him, don't to reduce him down, to limit him. And so often we can be influenced by that. Here we're introduced again to who the Lord Jesus is. He's God's final spokesman, God's only son, the heir of everything, the one who made the world, the one who sustains the universe. Does he have your attention? Are you convinced of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the writer goes on. Here he explains not just who Jesus is, but what he's done. Look at this together. He says, After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand on high. The one who made it all. The one who everything is for. The one who keeps it all going. Sin had spoiled it. Tainted it. Ruined it. Yet he is the one who has come to make it right. He's not a distant spectator. He came and he got involved. Sometimes we sing a song that has a line in it that says, The great creator became my savior. And all the fullness of God dwells in him. He made purification for sin. What is sin? Often we think about sin as something that we do to one another. Hatred between people, injustice, greed. Often we define sin by its results. We see it, don't we? Broken homes, empty chairs, ruined lives. But when the Bible talks about sin, it's, it's not so much about what we do to one another. It's more about our posture before God. Listen to this quote. This is by John Piper. He says, what is sin? Sin is the glory of God, not honored. It is the holiness of God, not reverenced. Sin is the greatness of God, not admired. The power of God, not, not praised. Sin is the truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. Sin is the beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God, not savored. We sin when the faithfulness of God is not trusted. The commandments of God are not obeyed. Sin is the justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. 
the person of God not loved, that, that is sin. Sin is when we say to God that I don't recognize you as my Lord. I, I won't serve you. I won't obey you. It's the attitude that, that I'll do it my way. And we're all guilty of that. Every one of us. Here the writer, he, he describes sin uniquely. He, he talks about it as an impurity. Something that is like an internal poison that leaves an outward stain. Last week I, I was using a black pen and work and and it leaked all through my pocket. And uh, it took me ages to scrub it off my hands. But I couldn't get it out of my clothes. It stained, it stained my trousers. It's like sin, isn't it? It's a stain that we can't remove. It stains not just, it doesn't stain our skin. It, it stains our very soul. Blocks us from God's presence. We have two uh, wee boys at home, um, Will's three and Ollie's one. There are plenty of stains in our living room. And uh, how do you get rid of a stain? Well, you try and wash it, try and scrub it, get the vanish out, spray it. Some of those stains, they just won't move. Maybe you try and cover it up then. We'll just hide it. How do you get rid of the stain of sin? The impurity the inward impurity that leaves an outward stain. You can't cover it up. You can't scrub it away. You can't wash it off. Here the writer introduces us to the personal achievement of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has purified sin. He is the one that has provided the cure. How do you purify something? Well, you have to absorb the impurity, don't you? Maybe you have a water filter at home and you pour in the water through the filter and it absorbs all the dirt, all the contaminants, all the impurities to leave you with purified water. It's the story of the cross. It's what we're singing about, the power of the cross, that Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We can stand forgiven at the cross. He, he was made sin for you. The darkness of Calvary when God concentrated his punishment, when he unleashed his anger, his wrath on his son, as he absorbed for you, for this world, the punishment for your sin. He soaked it up. And he made an end of it. Look what he says. The King James Version puts this lovely. He says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. This is a process that isn't ongoing. This is not something that needs to be done all the time. This is a process that it is complete. When he had by himself purged our sins, what did he do? He sat down. This evening, the message that God has for you, the message that God has for this world, the message that he's communicating through his son is, is that he can cleanse you, not just on the outside, not just to clean you up, but to cleanse you from the inside. Cleanse you all the way through from, to your darkest 
deepest secret. The sins that trouble us, the conscience that pricks us, like that alarm and light that comes on on the dashboard of your car that lets you know there's something wrong. Our consciousness does that. lets us know that we're not right before God. The Lord Jesus, he, he has come to purify us, to take away our sin, to cleanse us from the inside, to take away the contaminant, the impurity, the poison of sin, and to make us clean, to make us fit for God's presence. This is the profile of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. What about where he is now? Look at how this finishes. He said, he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How great is it when you get to the end of the day and you get to sit down? Everything's finished. All the work's done. All the bits and pieces cleared up. Here the Lord Jesus, when he made purification for sins, he sat down. Where did he sit? At the right hand of the majesty on high. Like, is there a higher seat to sit on? He is supreme. He sits supreme at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is a profile of the Lord Jesus Christ. How amazing it is to be introduced to him. He is God's final spokesman, God's only son. He is the heir of everything. It all belongs to him. He made it. He is the exact imprint of who God is. Not only that, but he's the saviour of the world. And he's sitting now at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a privilege it is for us to be introduced to him, to be invited to believe in him, to worship him, to serve him. Is he worth following? Are you convinced of who the Lord Jesus is? Are you committed to following him? to worshiping him, to serving him. Can you appreciate what he has done, his achievements? Do you recognize where he is now? C.S. Lewis famously said, you must make your own choice. Either this, was, either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. There is no middle ground. This evening, as we have been introduced again to who the Lord Jesus is, to what he's done, to where he is now, does he have your attention? Is he the priority of your life? Are you committed to following him? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that you are a God who communicates. Thank you that your word is, these words that we've been reading and thinking about this evening, that they're not human words. They're words that are divine. Father, we thank you that they're not words that are temporary. These are words that are permanent. These are settled forever in heaven. You have said that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain forever. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have sent him as your spokesman. Thank you for who he is. Father, help us in our lives to 
be committed to him, to give him the place that he deserves as Lord of all. Father, we pray that you will help us to appreciate and to honor and to acknowledge that your son is worthy. He is worthy of it all. We ask this for his glory. Amen.